Well, today, uh, I'm going to finish up a series that I've been on called Marathon. Uh, we've been talking about running the race that God has called all of us to as sort of a backdrop uh, for this series of messages. Um, we've, we've been talking about this, this process that we're all in. Everyone in this room, regardless of who you are, uh, God has a purpose. He has a plan for you, has a design for you, and you're on a journey. And um, I don't know about you, but sometimes that, that journey is smooth. Uh, but also sometimes that journey is difficult and hard. Um, sometimes that journey is sunny days, and uh, sometimes that, that journey uh, is rainy days. Sometimes that journey is, is great, and sometimes that journey, for whatever reason, the city turns off the water, and you haven't had any all week long. Uh, all my Durban North people say, what's up, right? It's been rough. We won't hug too close today, because who knows what we all... No, it happens, right? I mean, there, there are times when things go well, and there are times when things are difficult, and it's one thing when it's a, a day or two, but it's another thing when it's an entire season, and, um, and the, the reality of life is that life isn't a sprint, it's a marathon, and what God has called you and I to as his followers, as disciples, it isn't a sprint, it's a marathon, and so we've been looking at scripture, particularly uh, things that the Apostle Paul said about running his race um, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27 to you again. It says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Really, that's, that's what this series has been about. You and I running in such a way that we, we get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Here uh, in, in 1 Corinthians and then in Timothy, Paul is using this language both places. He's kind of He's kind of uh, in this retrospective place where he's looking back at his life. He's, he's counting the cost that he's paid. And he's, it's, it's interesting to kind of look into the, the window or the soul of this man who has served the Lord faithfully and been through a lot of stuff. He's seen a lot of fruit. But really at this season of his life, and I've, I've talked about it often, we look back uh, years later and we read the Bible and we see Paul as a success but the reality of Paul's life is at the end of his life and towards the end of his ministry, he had a lot of critics and a lot of people were looking at his life and not really seeing success. And here's a man who's grappling with his journey and he's saying at the end of this journey, look, I, I want to get the prize. I've, I've not sacrificed all of this for nothing. I've not worked this hard for nothing. I, uh, the Lord has done something in me and I want to make sure that I, that I finish as strong as I started the race. Um, I've shared with you that years ago I, I ran a marathon and I've given you kind of little bits and pieces and windows into that marathon. And last week I talked about the fact that uh, as I, I ran that marathon, it didn't, go, it didn't go how I had planned it to go. Um, and I told you as I was running, I learned, I didn't know this before, but as I was running, uh, there are pacers, these people are called pacers in a race. They have a little flag with a time. Um, and so as everyone is running, what happens is people will often group up 
with these professional runners, these people who are skilled at running at a certain pace. And if you follow them, then you can complete the race in the pace that you wanted. I didn't know any of this stuff and uh, got caught up in the moment and, and uh, didn't, didn't run at the pace that I, I wanted to run. And in fact, my goal was to run to finish the marathon in less than four hours because what I had learned um, as I was getting ready to run this marathon is that only about 24% of people who've ever run a marathon run it in less than four hours. And so trying to be an overachiever rather than just, hey, it's my first marathon, why don't I finish? I was thinking, why why don't I be in the top 25 percentile of runners? And so that was my goal and that's how I had trained. But the day of the the race, my race fell apart and I, I didn't finish in in uh, three hours and 58 minutes as I had planned, three hours, 59 minutes. I actually uh, finished in four hours and 26 minutes. And so I finished the race, but I didn't run the race that I wanted to run. And it, and it was because I, I made a lot of mistakes along the way. Paul, here he is at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, and he's reflecting on his experiences. And he's, he's speaking to the church at Corinth and and Timothy speaks to his, his young protege, Timothy, and he's giving him some advice on how to complete the race and how to do it in such a way that you get the prize. We've learned four things or, or, or four concepts that we've learned during this series just really quickly. Number one, marathon training gives a broad perspective. You don't just get up and run a marathon next week or next month. If you're going to run a marathon, you train over a long period of time. And by training over a long period of time, you get a perspective of your body, its capabilities. You get a perspective of what it takes. And, and it's through the training process that you gain the perspective that allows you to complete the race. We've, we've learned that marathoners understand their greatest opponent is themselves. You're not running against the other people, the thousands of people running beside you. You're running against yourself. You're, you're running against that stopwatch and your capacity to push your body, your will, your mind, your emotions to, to get the prize. Paul, in his journey, learned that his enemy, uh, that his greatest enemy wasn't even the devil. His greatest enemy was himself. He talked a lot about himself being the one who would trip him up and keep him from getting the prize. We've also learned that every race requires a first step and then a next step. Many of us are not finishing the race because many of us are not even starting. We're scared of failure. We're scared of making the mistakes we've made in the past. We blame everybody else. We blame circumstances and situations. And so we're not taking a first step or we're not taking a next step. And so last week we talked about taking the first step and then taking the next step. And then lastly, uh, we learned last week an effective marathon requires that you stick to the race plan. That's what I didn't do on the day that I ran my marathon. I had the watch. I had the training. I had the plan. But on the day of the marathon, I got caught up in the circumstances. I got caught up in the crowd. I got caught up in the moment. I got caught up in my own naivete. And I didn't stick to the plan. And so as a result, instead of I was perfectly capable of running less than four hours, but I didn't because I didn't stick to the plan. We, in the first week of the series, we read from 2 Timothy chapter 4, 
as Paul talked about running and finishing the race, I wanted to go back to that because I wanted to show you sort of the broader perspective of his comments. I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture today uh, because there's just some things that I think are so important for us to see. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says this, I charge you, this is Paul talking to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, uh, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience. Wow, that's a lot to ask of someone, right? With complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is, get what Paul's saying. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and my time of departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul writing to Timothy, and he's talking about this race, the same concept that he's talking about in Corinth. He's talking about running this race and completing this race. He's saying to his, his young disciple, Lee, listen, Timothy, Run the race in such a way that you win the prize. And then he gives them some very just practical advice. Do these things. Put one foot in front of another. Do the things you know you're supposed to do. Some of us in this discipleship journey, in the journey of life, we make it so much harder than it is. Paul said, Timothy, it, it's not that hard. You know what you're supposed to do. Do the things you're supposed to do. And he broke it down for him and he made it so simple. This is what it means to be a disciple, Timothy. Do these things. I often have people ask me, Pastor, if I just knew what God wanted me to do, then I would obey him. If, if, if God would just give me my ministry, if he would just open a door for me, and my question always is, well, are you doing the things that you know you're supposed to do? Are you doing your daily 20? Oh, if I could just hear from God. Okay, wonderful. Are you doing your daily 20? Well, you know, 20 minutes. I start my day. It's hard. Water isn't, so I have to go get a bucket. Electricity's not on. Listen, is it, is it possible? I just, I'm just going to put it out there. Is it possible on the race that you're running in this life? Is it possible? Is it possible that some of us are neglecting the very basic things that we know to do? And so as a result, before, before, we're even, before we can even address the bigger issues and the, the bigger problems, if we would just start with the basics, if we would put one foot in front of the other, we could engage the race and move towards the prize that God has called us to. Is it possible? I, sometimes when I describe the daily 20, people look at me like, oh, that just seems too simple. Okay, start there. Five minutes in worship. Well, I'm not really a worshiper. You're going to have a problem in heaven. 
well, I'm not really, I'm not really emotional. I don't care if you're emotional or not. Worship has nothing to do with emotion. Worship has everything to do with acknowledging who is and what is and what is not. Well, that's not really my gift. Uh, yeah, it is. It's why we were created. Five minutes in worship. Do that every day. Just start there. Five minutes in the word. Every day. Just five minutes. Just open and read five, five minutes of praying, talking to God, and let him know what's going on in your life. And then five minutes of listening, taking out that journal. Just let God speak to you. If we just started with the basics, things would build from there. And as you and I run this race and we, we get the basics, all of a sudden we begin to recognize and understand as, as Paul was explaining to Timothy, you're not in this, you're not in this alone as you, as you do the basics. Guess what? You begin to engage other people. We start to realize about the race that, that God has called us to. As Paul was saying to the church at Corinth and as he said over and over and over again that this race isn't just about you. That, that you're not in this by yourself. That in fact, you're not really running the race unless you're engaging others. See, the call to run is individual, but the course that all of us has been called to is communal. One of my biggest mistakes in my training for the marathon was that I did all of my training by myself. So when it came to the day to run the race, I was completely overwhelmed by all of the other people around me. I was thrown off of my course. I was thrown off of my plan because I was not accustomed to running with anybody else. And so as I was running, literally the rhythm of other people running beside me was breaking my rhythm. I had worked for 10 months to establish a perfect rhythm of running. I had it all timed with that fancy watch. I had it all figured out, but as soon as I started running with others, I noticed my stride was different, everything was different. I was distracted because I hadn't learned to, uh, to run in community. The race that God has called you and I to is a race of community. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 22. I told you I'm going to read a lot because I really want you to see this. Look at what Paul says to Timothy. Do your best to come to me soon. This is Paul at the end of his life writing to Timothy. For Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia, Titus, to Dalmatia. Luke is alone with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. Note that. We're going to come back to that. Tychius I have set to, sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus and Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand my, by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through, through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I may 
So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained in Corinth and I left Trophimus, I don't know how to say that one, with, uh, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come to me before winter. Eubulus sends greeting to you all, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Pastor Randy, why are you reading all of that stuff to us? The reason I'm reading it to you is because you have to understand Paul was not a lone ranger. We have this idea of Paul as this great, powerful man who was out there slaying the devil and spreading the church everywhere he went. But if you'll read your Bible and you understand it, here is a guy who was getting hurt by people. He was getting kicked around by life, but he was not doing it alone. He was acknowledging his hardship. He was acknowledging that there were people who were walking out on him. But even in prison, he said, Luke is here with me. I'm not by myself. We romantically fall into this mindset of the Lone Ranger. We fall into this mindset of I'm going to do great things for God. And we don't realize that the way that God created us and he designed us was for and in community. I'm going to say something really bold to you, um, and some of you are going to disagree with me, uh, but I'll challenge you to go read your Bibles. You can't do this Christianity thing alone. There's no such thing as your personal Jesus. There's no such thing as your personal Christianity. Everything about being a follower of Jesus happens in and through community. Many of us are struggling in and on this journey because we're trying to do it alone. And many of us are struggling to follow Jesus because like me, we, we train alone. We try to grow spiritually alone. Paul was demonstrating to Timothy, yes, community is hard. Relationship is hard. But Timothy, I'm not doing it by myself. Even though people have hurt me, even though I've been beat up, I'm not doing it by myself. See, the quickest way to get off course is to run alone. Many of us fall into sin because we spend too much time alone. Many of us struggle with areas of defeat in our life because we do not have systems of accountability, nor do we have systems of encouragement and strength. And if you'll notice, we've said it over and over again from this pulpit, if you'll notice, the pattern of the enemy is always to isolate you. Just look at nature. Just look at nature. We have these beautiful safaris here in, in Africa and in South Africa. And if a predator is going to get a prey, what do they do? They always split them off from the herd. Why? Because when they get them alone, then they're vulnerable. Then they pounce on them. Then they can destroy them. They always split them off from the herd. And you and I, in our rugged individualism, we just play alone with the, with the tactics of the enemy and we run alone. And when we run alone, what do we do? We open ourselves up to defeat. I would submit to you today that you and I were never 
created to do this alone. In fact, we were created in community and therefore to grow and to be successful as the people God has called us to be. We are required to be in community. Genesis chapter 2 verses 18 through 23 says this, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will, make a, I will make him a helper fit for him. Notice that. Then the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Everything else God had created up until this point, he kept saying, ooh, look at that. That's good. We made that. That's good. When he made man, he said, it's not good that man be alone. And so what did he do? He created a helper. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see I love this, to see what he would call him. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gives names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to man. Then the man said, this is at this this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Now get the picture. God creates man, says, okay, here's all the beasts of the field. Start naming them. Man starts naming things, you know, cow, dog, rhinoceros. God says, oh, man, we have a crisis. The man is calling things rhinoceros, so we better create a woman. Because if I leave this guy by himself, who knows what he's going to call everything? <laughs> who knows what kind of mess he's going to make out of this? I can't leave him by himself. He needs, he needs a helper, right? And we, we often, uh, and, and it is appropriate, we talk about this passage in light of, of gender. We talk about this passage in light of, uh, of husband-wife relationships and all of those things are important. But, but sometimes we, we, we don't understand there's a broader picture here. If you read in original language, God is a triune God. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is never by himself. He does everything in community. And I know the Trinity is hard for us to understand, but God does everything in community. And when he made man in his image, he said, if he's going to be in my image, then he also has to be in community. It's not good for him to be alone. He doesn't reflect me when he's alone. Let me make for him something that's from him so he's forever in community. Well, I wish I could say that again just like that because it's really good. So he's forever in community because it's only in community that he's reflecting me. And so he created man in community, and it was only then that it was good. So you and I were never created to be alone. We were, we were never. And so in this life, there is this tension. There's this tension in which every one of us are called to the race as individuals, but the race itself is communal. The race itself is communal. This Christian life is communal. And so, of course, you're going to struggle. Of course, I'm going to struggle when I'm trying to do it by myself because God called us to do it together. And Paul is a perfect example of someone who chose to do it with others even when it hurt. What I just read to you 
from 2 Timothy I read to you on purpose, even though I couldn't pronounce all the names, and that's embarrassing because I got some degrees that says I'm supposed to be able to say those names. Most of the time when people are confident about it, they're pretending, by the way. But I read it on purpose because I wanted you to see community cost Paul something. But to his dear son, that's what he called Timothy, to his dear son, even though community had cost him something, it was important to him that he understood, that he communicated to his son, if you're going to fulfill this calling, if you also are going to follow in my footsteps, if you're going to do the basic things and you're going to fulfill your calling, that Timothy, like me, you also are going to have to engage in community even when community costs you something because you can't, Timothy, you can't do this alone. And, and what I love that is so beautiful about this is, is Paul is writing to his dear son, and he's even asking of his dear son for support. Hey, bring me my cloak. Timothy, I need you here with me. See, the truth is others will desert you, disappoint you, and even hurt you, but you're still called to run in community. Others may let you down, but you're still called to run in community because there's something about the way that we were created that makes it worth it all. Paul talked about, man, there's that coppersmith and he, he hurt me and Timothy, you need to be aware of that. And uh, oh, John Mark, bring him, bring him because he's important to me. Now you, you guys, you know the history, right? This guy has messed up before. He's made mistakes. He's let Paul down before. Paul had to bench him at one time or another because he kept hooking the kick. And so we lost to the Irish. It hurts. So he had to bench him. Right? It was the Irish last night, right? So he had to bench him. And yet, Paul's calling him back to the field. Why? Because community and relationship means reconciliation. It means getting over it when somebody's done you wrong. It means not holding against them for the rest of their life. It means the same grace that's been shown towards me, I'm gonna show towards others. He's valuable to me. Man, those were, like if you go read about John Mark and somehow Paul in running this race looks at this young guy that's hurt him, it's done him wrong and says, hey, he's, he still has value in this race. Oh. Back there, he made me break stride. Back there, he messed up the work we were trying to do. Back there, he let me down. But I'm not, I'm not done with him. And there's this, there's this weird tension because over here, there's this coppersmith, and, and, and Paul has learned, okay, Timothy, I need to warn you about him. But then there's John Mark, and he says, but hey, bring him. So listen, it's not going to all be perfect. It's not going to all be easy. It's not going to be simple. But Paul was still committed to community. He was still committed to running together because he understood if he was going to complete his race and if Timothy was going to complete his race, there had to be a community. When you run a marathon, listen, you can't, you, you got to drink so much water, you can't carry it all with you. There has to be water stations along the way where you can run by and get water, right? 
You can't do it all by yourself. It's too long. It's too hard. It's too far. Other people have to bring you the cloak sometimes. Somebody's got to bring you the parchments. Somebody's got to remember you when you're, when you're facing trial. Paul understood, I can't do this by myself. Who are you and I to think we can do it by ourselves? I don't get that. Even Jesus, before he started his earthly ministry, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came and lighted on him, right? Jesus didn't even start his earthly ministry until the Holy Spirit came in. Do you get it? God himself bound himself to community and he created you and I in his image so that we also are bound to community. Stop running alone. Let me make it, let me make it a little more pointed. Stop running just with people you like. Stop just running with people who do everything the way you want them to do it, when you want them to do it, how you want them to do it. Stop giving up on people. Who are you and I to give up on somebody? Who are you and I to kick John Mark to the curb? Are we so perfect? Have we never failed? Have we never tripped? Have we... Have we never messed up? Have we never cost somebody else? Your capacity to complete this race is directly connected to your willingness to depend on and cooperate with other people. I would submit to you today, some of you have been raised in church, you've been in church all your life, you've been around this thing all your life, and you and I still struggle with sin, we struggle with heartache, we struggle with certain issues in our life, and I would submit to you today that it has so much to do with our lack of capacity or willingness to cooperate with the rest of the body that God has called around us to help us to be the people he's called us to be. Trying to do it all by ourselves. I would submit to you today that there are people in this room who have a revelation of God because of their upbringing and their personality and the path that they've been on that is meant to unlock the next thing in your life. But if you're cut off from them because they're different than you or because they've hurt your feelings sometime or because they do things differently than you, then you're cutting yourself off from the very revelation of God that you need in your life. I need you to reveal things to God and about God to me that I would never see because I don't have the lenses from which I can see it. But through your journey and your experiences and your study of scripture and the things that God has brought you through, I now can see it. Paul said, Timothy, listen, you gotta keep running, son. You have to keep running and you have to run with others. I'm going to finish this race, Timothy, but I'm going to finish it because others are helping me. I'm going to finish it, Timothy, because you, even as my son, you're, you're going to help me to finish this race. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 5 says, For by the grace given to me, there's that word again, I say to every, everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. I'm not even going to touch that. I'm just going to keep going. (laughs) But to think with sober judgment, there's that word sober again. Boy, in 2023, if 
If we need to do any word study, we need to do this word study on this word sober. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members, and individually members of one another? One of another? So I'm, I'm not completely me without you. I'm not completely me in Christ without you. Think about that for a moment. Everything the enemy wants to do in your life is to separate you, is to isolate you, is to convince you that you can do it by yourself. It's to convince you that you're enough. I'm gonna... I'm going to reject what every pop psychologist is going to tell you. You're not enough. You are not the center of the universe. You cannot do it. You are not the sparkle and the essence of it all. You are not enough. You, I'm going to make some of you mad. You and Jesus are not enough. You need me. I need you. I need to hear you worship. Because I need you to say the things about God that you see that I don't see. Because when you say those things that you see that I don't see, all of a sudden I start seeing it. I need you to ask the questions that I'm not thinking of. Because when you ask those questions, it forces my conscience to all of a sudden begin to wrestle with things that my subconscious hasn't allowed me to push through yet. I need to hear your questions. And you need to ask them because there's probably some certainty that I have through a revelation of faith that hasn't arrived in your life yet. And so when you ask me that question that I have certainty about, all of a sudden I can begin to prophesy into your dead bones, into a dead area of your life, life that God has already given me. I need you. You need me. But if we can't run together, if we're training all by ourselves, if we bought into the lie of the devil that we've been called to do it by ourselves, that we're supposed to pull our own self up by our bootstrap, that we're supposed to muscle through it on our own, if we buy into that lie, what happens is in the rhythm of the real race of life, we hurt each other, we distract each other, we throw mud on each other, Before long, none of us are finishing the race. None of us are getting the prize. Running in such a way to get the prize means running in such a way that surrenders my pride. I love studying the Apostle Paul so much because he's clearly a, a strong personality. And his letters, because his letters were... They were, some of them were sent to individuals, some of them were sent to a group of people, some of them were meant to be public as we would understand it, but the truth is, and 
again, you just have to be real about history. Paul did not understand or realize that some of this correspondence was going to be read hundreds and hundreds of years later by people like you and I. He was just writing in vulnerability about his life and his journey. And we get this window into this man who, man, it had not, it had not been easy. But there had been a clear moment of personal calling on his life that he chose to live out in community. And by living it out in community, it cost him, it cost him so much. And it hurt him. But he decided, he had determined that it was the best way. And it was only in running in this way, it was only in running this way that he would, he would get the prize. I, I want to say to you today, you, you've got a journey. And that resonates with you. When I, when I get up here and I say, you have a calling, you have a, that resonates in you. I understand that. But friend, you have to recognize, you have to understand that if, if we allow that if we allow that individuality to define us, then it's going to be the very thing to prevent us from being who God has called us to be. We were never meant to do this alone.